Today's episode is brought to you by Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, and around the house. When I sit down to watch TV in the evening, I don't want to fumble with the remote. I just ask the Google Assistant to start playing the show I'm currently binging and begins to play on my TV. Download the Google Assistant today. Today's episode is also brought to you by SeatGeek. It's the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, all you have to do is use the promo code REWATCH. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Welcome to the Rewatchables. I'm Juliette Littman. I haven't been on this podcast in a while. I'm here with David Shoemaker. Hello. I've been on once before. But Only hello. Once? How are you doing? Yeah. What was your other one? Uh, the Big Lebowski. I've never done a podcast with you before, which is actually kind of hard to believe. Yes, judging I've, by the amount of time we've spent together. I know. I'm about to say, we work with you quite closely. This is exciting that we're doing the, we're, oh, I'm going to say it. We're doing The Princess Bride. I <sighs> forgot to mention that. One of the greatest movies ever made. 20th Century Fox presents a new film by Rob Reiner, The Princess Bride. I fear I'll never see you again. Of course you will. But how can you be sure? This is true love. I think this happens every day. Hold it, hold it. Is this a kissing book? Wait, just wait. The Princess Bride, a comic tale of true love and high adventure. Rated PG. It's a true cult classic. It's one of the, I think, like, that phrase is used a lot, but it's one of the earlier ones and a true one of the truer ones. It really does have a cult following. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, um, and one of the true rewatchables, too. I mean, there's there's very few movies that even that I love to death that, like, I could finish and then just push play again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to get into it. And one of the reasons we're doing it is because Andre the Giant, Andre Rusimov, Yes. You, you're as I as I say it correctly. We can just call him Andre the Giant or just Big Boss Andre, whatever you want to say. But um, the, last night, Andre the Giant, the documentary premiered on HBO, executive produced by Bill Simmons, yeah. our boss. So this is where we got Andre on the mind. Plus, it's just like a good, it's a good rewatchable. Uh, it's a fantastic movie, and of course, I mean the 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 documentary talks about. I mean, it has a big section about the Princess Bride. It does. Um, and part of that was just like giving the people what they want. I mean, there were the, the I think that, that, um, you know, for a wider, for a non-wrestling audience, you know, I mean, that's, that is the big, that's the most central thing that people know him for. And, and, um, definitely that's good how, reason. That's the only way I knew him for a very long time. I didn't know he was a wrestler. He was in like a, he was in like commercials and stuff. I don't think I saw those. Oh. I don't know. First, he was just like the Andre the Giant guy to me for a long time. Um, so, yeah, well, let's just get into it. Let's begin with the context and the plot of where we were, where the world was when this movie came out in 1987. It was directed by Rob Reiner, based on William Goldman's 1973 novel. And it famously begins with um, a young Fred Savage. What was the name of his show? The Wonder Years. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what was his name on The Wonder Years? I can't remember. Kevin, Kevin Arnold. Or Kevin. Yeah, Kevin Arnold. Kevin Arnold. Um, he was not Kevin Arnold yet, but he was in this playing. He was sick and his grandfather is Peter Falk and he comes and he's like, I'm going to read you a book in my day before we had TV, we had books, which is funny. Cause I think that like still holds like that's something like your grandfather would probably still say to you. Like I read, what do you do? Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. And and also, I mean, the, it was, we'll talk about things that held up or didn't hold up, hold up, but later, but that opening scene in the room, he's playing a video game on just like the oldest TV, you know what I mean? It's there. It's definitely like a little bit of retro there, but 
their relationship I thought was was pretty was pretty cool. I mean, it is cool. It, it's also like kind of that's a, a rare one to see on on in a movie and TV. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, they did that. They used that framing device to sort of um, maintain the connection to the original book yeah. because the book itself, which I have not read, have you? No, I've never read it. Me neither. But it apparently has like a lot of like asides and sort of snark from William Goldman because it's ultimately the Princess Bride is kind of like a commentary on genre, mm-hmm. uh, commentary on uh, fairy tales, on sort of the idea of like princes and princesses. And it's like set in like they're like kind of like a faux Renaissance era. So yeah. it's a lot about like it's it's a meta narrative as much as like an actual fairy tale, which I think is why it has broad appeal. Absolutely. And um, apparently, well, it was adapted finally in 1987, but 14 years earlier, when it first came out, 20th Century Fox had paid Goldman $500,000 for the rights to it, which is a lot of money for 1973. Yeah, that's that's a ton of money. A ton! But I guess <laughs> I, Goldman was, I mean, he was already an established, one of the great screenwriters yeah. around at this point, but yes. was also writing novels or had written novels before and kind of went back and wrote them um, so I'm sure he had a good agent to negotiate that <laughs> that $500,000 payday. Sure. Who? What do you think he's like the most famous for? Like, what's his most famous thing? Oh, man. I mean, it's mo- it, more than anything, it's just like, I just, he gets name checked. A as, lot. Yeah, more more so than he's like, you know, you talk about something specific, but he did all the President's Men, right? And he did, yeah. uh, what he did some, he did, he was writing up until the, oh, The Ghost in the Darkness was one that I really liked at the time. He did the original Stafford Wives. Which yeah. I think is like important to me. I mean, I more so the remake, but like as like a concept, a step for wives is like a big deal. I don't know. He just has written a lot, a lot of movies, and you know, Bill talks about him a lot as well. Yeah, and he was I mean, he was he was like a technician. He could just he he knew how to write the perfect script if you gave him the source material, and also he knew how to write apparently really good source material. Um, <laughs> he also. <laughs> He wrote a screenplay for Heat, the 1986 Heat, which I feel like is often forgotten. Great, a great Burt Reynolds performance. Um, so anyway, they didn't make the movie uh, after 20th Century Fox did not make the movie in 1973. So Goldman bought back the rights and ultimately uh, Rob Reiner adapted it, was the director and adapted it. And he was really passionate about the project and sort of like the godfather of television, of TV comedy. Norman Lear was one of the producers on the show of the movie. Which I did not know until I was started researching for this, this I had movie. The, I had the same aha moment when I was when I was reading up on it too. Um, and it, Carrie, I call him Carrie Elwes. Is that let's go with that? I, 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 I at some point it became Carrie Elwes to me, but I did say Carrie Elwes when I was like in high school. So I don't I don't know I don't know. Okay, well I call him Carrie Elwes, and he credits Norman Lear with like giving him a career because he's the one who like ultimately signed off on Rob Reiner's casting of him. Uh-huh. And so Norman Lear is sort of like the grandfather lording over this movie, which I think is. Appropriate. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty. It's it's it's, it's a the the backstory. I mean, it's not. It doesn't have one of these like tortured production processes, except for no. the failure to make the movie the first time around. But like the you That's know, that's so whatever. common. Yeah, I don't even consider it a failure. It's like part of the process of like finding a home for the right screenplay. I mean, it's kind of crazy to spend five hundred thousand dollars in the seventies and then not go forward with it. But I, I think, but it was. It is a challenging project. But I think because of what the way you described it before, it's not just a genre piece. It's not just a fairy tale. It's a. Um, it's a. It's a commentary on on the form. So it's you know. Um, the the hardest thing to do, and we see this in all different kind of genres. The hardest thing to achieve in movie making is like self awareness, yes, or like irreverent, like true irreverence. And it's uh, and and they they pull that off here. So I can I can understand why it would be hard to kind of get the tone and the cast exactly right. That's a great segue into talking about the casting, which we're going to do in a second. But I just want to tell you, 
five hundred thousand dollars in twenty seventeen last year would have amounted to two point eight million dollars. Wow, that's a lot for optioning a book. I, I don't think you could get that. In I gotta go market. back to writing books. You Jeez. are a great writer. I, that is true. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about the casting. So Carrie always was a very early pick. He uh, Rob Reiner just wanted him from seeing him in Lady Jane, mm-hmm. and he got the part. Robin Wright came to this at the quote-unquote 11th hour. If you read interviews about how the casting of this film went down, you will see that that phrase used often. Sure. Um, she and, literally walked into their to one of their houses. Yes. Whoever, oh, it was William Gold. They were like— Yes, it was they, William Goldman's house, correct. And um, the Jane Jenkins, who did the, was the casting director for the film, told, told the story to Vice— back in the fall at the 30th anniversary of the film. And she said, I'll never forget this for as long as I live. The doorbell rang. Rob went to the door. And literally, as he opened the door, Wright was standing there in his in this little white summer dress with her long blonde hair, and she had a halo from the sun. She was backlit by God. And Bill Goldman looked across the room at her, and he said, well, that's what I wrote. It was the most perfect thing. <laughs> it's kind of funny because she is, I mean, we we have... We've seen so much Robin Wright since the since this movie came out. Not enough, in my opinion. No, I I, I agree. She's so fantastic, and but like that she has this this um, reputation as such like a, a you know a, a serious actor. You know, I mean, she's such a, an icon now. Yeah. Back, then, I mean, when she was cast for the movie, I know they were only looking at. I mean, at first they were only looking at British actresses, you mm-hmm. know, so they could do the accent. So clearly, she's an actor. I mean, she does a great job in the film, but that she was cast just. You know, according to legend, based on one look at her <laughs> backlit by the sun, um, you know it's 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 sort of it's sort of ironic given all that she's all she's done since. I then. know she's played Jenny in Forrest Gump. That's probably her most famous role, right? Yeah, or House of Cards now. Yeah, but House yeah. Of Cards. But two like tortured women. One who is like a, also a torturer. I guess mm-hmm. I don't watch House of Cards, but uh, she's yeah House of Cards. Forrest Gump. I happen to love the movie Isn't She Lovely with Sean Penn and John Travolta. Yes, that's a it's a good one. <laughs> she um, you're like, well, what are her other like big hits like that people know her from? Her marriage to Sean Penn. I know. And then her her short loved engagement to um Ben Foster. I I enjoyed that. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, you did. I guess she I mean, she's just had like a really long and like great career. Yeah. I remember also when White Oleander came out and I was in high school, I was really into that. And she was great in Wonder Woman yeah. as well. Um, oh my god, that's the best part of Wonder Woman in the beginning. Yeah, it was so so good. Um <laughs> but I think but it, it's true that they were cast and we'll, we'll talk more I mean you'll we'll talk about the other cast members, but there's I mean clearly they were cast to type in a certain yeah. way, right? I mean her her copious acting ability aside, she looks like the perfect fairy tale princess, right? And Carrie Elwes, always, regardless of what you think, I mean, you know, what your take is on him. And I was a big fan of his back uh-huh. back in the day, just because I loved this movie so much that to me he was like I was. I remember being, you know, fourteen or fifteen and like un, just like really confused as to why he wasn't the star in every movie, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he looked like. He, 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 what was the movie that he was in? The, his, the, the British movie that, that got him this job? Lady Jane. Lady Jane, right. Which I'm sure was just a period piece or whatever. And he played a character named Guilford Dudley. Yeah. Incredible. Carrie Elwes was basically like the Matthew Good of his era. It's so true. And I have a hard time with that because I love Matthew Good. <laughs> yeah. And I find Carrie Elwes to be like, not as good. He looks the part. And years later, he, then he played, you know, in Robin Hood Men in Tights, basically spoofed, like spoofed the spoof. Yeah. 
He's in a lot of spoofing of the spoof. I think because of this movie, he ended up in kind of a lot of like satire style Mm -hmm. stuff because he also was in this movie that I'm sure you have not seen, Ella Enchanted, starring Hugh Dancy and Anne Hathaway. I'm familiar with the movie. It's like a Cinderella story, but also a musical and also has Vivica Fox. It's like totally, totally bonkers. Yeah. (laughs) But it's he plays like he plays the villain in that. He weirdly took a turn towards villainy after this, after like the 90s, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of like the Mark Hamill thing. When you're just yeah. that like perfect blonde uh, genre movie leading man, then then there's there's not a, always if, if you don't become the biggest star in the world, there's not a clear path for you. It's true. Ten years later, he became he did, is when he really became like the villain. He's in Twister, which is one of my favorite movies of mm-hmm. all time. And I'm angry is not a rewatchable. But he's like, you know, he's the enemy of um, Bill Paxton in that. And then he's in Liar Liar in 1997, one year later, where he's Jim Carrey's foil. And I just feel like those two roles really cemented him as like a go-to villain, which Um, is not a turn I would have seen coming after The Princess Bride. I remember The Crush really well from 1993. (laughs) The The Alicia Silverstone movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, he was was fantastic in that. (laughs) That was her heyday, man. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she was great, too. That was um, before Clueless, but after Aerosmith. Yes, if I recall. That's correct. If I recall, it might have been before Clueless. It was. It was before Clueless, but after Aerosmith. After Aerosmith. Yeah. Okay. She was already in the videos. She was like with Liv Tyler. Yeah. Crazy. But it also could have been filmed like three years before and just released because of the Aerosmith videos. It's totally true. Totally true. Anyway, fantastic movie. We'll do that on the rewatchable soon. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Clueless. No, no, no. Uh, oh, the crush. crush. I was going to say, we did Clueless. I did it. Yeah. Um, a lot of the plug, the casting sort of seemed like a foregone conclusion. They're like, Billy Crystal was cast pretty early. Mm-hmm. Manny Patinkin was cast pretty early. Chris Sarandon is cast early. But the one other one in addition to Robin Wright that was in question was Andre the Giant. I did that on purpose. I don't have to miss. I believe you. So what happens now? We face each other as God intended. Sportsmanlike. No tricks, no weapons, skill again, skill along. And there's a little bit of Andre the Giant history here that I don't know about that I was wondering if you could enliven for me, which is they wanted him. He was their first choice. Mm-hmm. They called the WWF to ask him, ask if, the, if about his availability. That's correct. So one question, like, does the WWF like own exclusive? And then in the 80s, do they have like exclusivity for their talent? Um. Like, why do they have to I, ask I think there's a presumed exclusivity when you're on the road, like, hundreds of days a year. But also, like, I'm sure Andre the Giant didn't have an agent. You know, if you right. wanted Vince McMahon, Vince's dad, uh, Vincent. Senior. Yeah, well, he's, they have different middle names, but he's called Vince Senior. Um, basically was his booker. Yeah, Got I mean, he, when he he kind of took over Andre's career and he they, they he wrestled in, in Vince's East Coast territory, McMahon's East Coast territory, but then he sort of farmed him out to other territories around the country so that, you know, he could be a big special attraction wherever he went. So, yeah, if you wanted if you wanted to to book Andre the Giant, you probably called WWE headquarters. I but see. he wasn't, I mean, but also it's like, it, it's the, the story is actually kind of similar to the Michael J. Fox Back to the Future story where they, they had to call Spielberg, whoever had to call the Family Ties producers and say, can I, can we have Ma- Michael J. Fox? And they're like, no, he works too much. Like we need him every day. Yeah. And then after they um, tried it with another actor, they went back to them and they're like, we will do anything to make this work. And they're like, okay, we will let you have Michael J. Fox to film this movie. That's correct. You didn't know that Michael J. Fox story. It's so funny. It really was so much more of like a, like a, tendency like lord kind of um situation yes. it wasn't old so. old hollywood but it was a different era different era for sure so um they said no because um he was supposed to be fighting in tokyo uh 
And yeah. He, and he would be going to be paid $5 million for it. Yeah. Do you know about, like, is that like part of the Andre the Giant the, lore? I, I don't know anything specifically about that. Now, at this point in time, you know, that I mean, it seemed, it does seem weird that you go to WWE. I guess they would have asked Andre and he would say, no, I have this other thing. Cause he did have separate relationships at times with, with Japan. But I, I don't, I don't know the details of that. It seems a little bit, um, that seems a little bit like one of those Andre stories that's overinflated. Interesting. But uh, it's wonderful if it's true. And also Andre was, it. They, they. I think the story that I read was that the Tokyo deal fell through yeah, or something like that. But as we'll, we'll probably get into this, as you people who watch the documentary know, Andre had to have back surgery and he was, he could, he was, had no ability to do physicality during the filming of The Princess Bride. Yeah, in, in the doc, Robin Wright tells the story about how, like, when he's supposed to catch her, when she's falling out mm-hmm. of the castle or whatever, they had to, like, put her on a rig so that she, he wouldn't have to absorb, like, any impact because his back was so bad. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie, his fight with Carrie Owens, yeah. um, with Wesley, was they had to stage around his inability to do anything like crazy. If you look at the... the um, if you look at the... There's one, like, wide, wide shot where where Wesley's on his back and he backs in and, and Andre backs into the, a, a, a giant stone to, to knock him out. Um, that's just a dude in a mask. Like you can clearly see the mask if you rewatch it. And all the stuff, all the close-ups were like Wesley was, or Carrie always was standing on a box. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it, it, he was, he was in bad condition. So it was, it's kind of just, I mean, Andre's life is, you know, everything that he went through physically, it's a sad story, but it was almost serendipitous because the only reason that he was really able to do the movie is because he wasn't in shape to do anything other than a movie. Right. He, yeah, he, he was like almost like available by default. Yeah. Which is really sad. It's a sad part of the Andre the Duck, um, if you watch it. Um, but so before they got him to commit, um, they went out to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was a fan of the book and the script, but it didn't work out. They also went out to Lou Ferrigno, but also didn't work out. Um, this met with a Scottish strongman again, didn't work out. And then ultimately Andre was available. They also went to the giant apparently from Twin Peaks. At least I read that on the internet. Who knows if it's true, um, but <laughs> this, it, it this is funny. qualifies as our half-ass internet <laughs> corner then. <laughs> it is. Yeah, no, but it's hilarious that like that the, it's just a list of larger than Large life people. people in Hollywood at that time was like eight people long. I know. And now there's definitely more options. I mean, like who would it be now? Well, you know, what? I want to wait on that. We'll All talk right. about, we'll talk about who, uh, an update later. Um, that's sort of like it, it's it's it speaks to Andre. I think that like the best casting story is is about him. Well, well, William Goldman was a huge wrestling fan and particularly an Andre the Giant fan. He wrote the novel uh, with Andre in mind, apparently. Oh. And then when they um, when they went to cast it, he he told you know the casting director or either or the director or whoever that to find someone like Andre the Giant. And so they're like, why don't we just get Andre the Giant? Right. He was older at that point, but he still played the role you know really well. Yeah, he's a great part of the movie, which is a great transition into what's the most rewatchable scene in your opinion. I mean, the whole thing <laughs> That's is not an so option. good. I, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just prefacing it. But the movie just flows. The thing that the thing that surprised me most on this most when I rewatched it last week um, was just how bare spare it is. Sort mm-hmm. of. I mean, there's so much going on, but like it's just it, it it's so well written and so well filmed. It's just one thing into the next, and there's not like it doesn't linger very it's much. True. There's not a lot of fat in it. It's a tight 100, or it's a tight uh, 98 minutes, I believe. Uh huh. And it just, it goes from one to the other. And I, I think for me, like, the best chunk of the movie is from when 
um, Wesley like gets over on top of the cliffs and meets Inigo Montoya yeah. up until when while Sean dies. From- I think I think that's right. I really enjoy the 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 Inigo Montoya uh, showdown with the six fingered man at the end. I mean, there's there, a lot of the, the the last sequence is is really cool too. But I think that I think you're I agree with you. The best most rewatchable sequence is his showdowns with the uh with the three with with the three bad guys. Yeah, totally. And also it's like almost like three set pieces like it it mm-hmm. looks like a play. I, this is one of the one of the topic one of the categories is what's aged the worst. And I would say that like the outdoor some of the outdoor sets like look like a live TV musical like the way that like the sound of music looked when when uh, Carrie. Oh, that is true. <laughs> and like is that, is was that intentional at the time? I like to think it was because it's sort of just like you we said before sort of taking the piss out of the genre and it's yeah. you know it's trans and it's and what we're seeing on screen is a you know book being read. So there is that sort of just fantasy you know, community theater aspect to the whole thing. Um, but it never really takes me out. No. There's, a, there's a couple of times where, like, the rocks are clearly made yeah, of styrofoam. The, the, that's <laughs> the worst part is the rocks, for yeah. sure. <laughs> but it it does, like, make it feel like a play, and it sort of, like, puts all those people's acting chops on display. And the writing of it, yeah. I mean, yeah. the script, it's, it's it's true. I mean, it's it's very, it's it's like the the scene with, with Carrie Elways and Wallace Shawn when they're, when they're having the showdown over the poison, um... Yeah, I mean, it's just like there's two camera shots, you know. It's just like one guy's face and the other guy's face. I guess there's like a wide shot too, but like it's it's a very very simple it's scene. Simple. It's all about the kind of execution of this um, relatively simple but sort of brilliantly twisted story. I've come to realize that I love Rob Reiner movies. Like I just like mm-hmm. everything he does is like in my zone. Most most uh, notably when Harry met Sally. Yeah, but, but um, I just really love his movies. Like I, I think like his style that focuses on dialogue is just something I uh, gravitate towards. I totally agree. Yeah. He's really amazing, and his his dialogue in the Under the Giant documentary was one of the best parts. Yeah, he was him, really him, him and Billy Crystal just sitting in a room and just orating was was pretty nice. It's really cool when you see two people who clearly have a long creative partnership, mm-hmm. like like kind of like. In, like on their vibe together. Yeah. It's like, it's fun. I find that fun to watch. One uh, of my favorite parts of the documentary, and I know we're getting a bit too yeah. far afield, but is when um, it's like he's being interviewed and then at one point the camera pulls back uh, on Rob Reiner and you just realize Billy Crystal has been there the whole time and Billy just hasn't said anything, but that goes to their relationship and also the respect that Billy Crystal has for Rob Reiner that he's just sort of letting him go. Yeah. You know, if, there, if, it, if it was a different situation, I'm sure any comedian would be like, trying to step all over the other person to get their words in there. But. It's totally true. And I will say the next movie after The Princess Bride that Rob Reiner worked on or directed was When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. It's the beginning of a beautiful relationship for those two in, in this movie. Although they, they had worked on uh, This Is Spinal Tap together before. Right. And was that Reiner's first movie? Um, Spinal Tap? Directing it? I think, yeah, basically. And that's kind of like how he earned the right to do this by showing that Spinal Tap was a success. Christopher Guest was also in that and he's yeah. in, also in The Princess Bride. In a very small role. I so love. Small but important role. Love Christopher Guest. Yeah, he's really great. Let's talk about what has aged the best next. But first, let's talk about today's sponsors. With Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, and around the house. Like this. Hey Google, get directions to Major Domo Restaurant. The best way to get to Major Domo by car is via Riverside Drive and will take about 34 minutes in moderate traffic. Download the Google Assistant today. All right, Shoemaker, let's talk about what has aged the best. Do you have an opinion? Um... I'm 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 gonna be I'm the worst co-host for this. The whole thing aged so well. I mean, there's very like I know we we briefly talked about some qualms before, but 
I mean, part of it is just the, as it's it's fantasy, but it's not wedded to a certain period of time. Like the Lord of the Rings already looks like it's of a very certain era. Yeah, you know, it's true. When you go really hard for a certain kind of technology, yeah, it's obvious what, that, what year that's from. And that's why I think this, like the 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 fact that it sort of looks like a play is works to its benefit. Yeah. If you if you wanted to remake it. You know, it would if you wanted to remake it, if if Rob Reiner wanted to remake it with the same state of mind he had then, it would look exactly the same. Yeah, I that's a really good point. Like when you go really hard and you like use the most current technology, that mm. technology is going to get outdated. Oh, yeah. But with this, you don't have to worry about that. Plus, it, look at it, the Matrix. Yeah, like, I know. I know. It's like it looks silly to watch. And by and that when it came out, that's all people could talk about. I know. Like him leaning back and everything. Like yeah. Keanu Reeves. Um. And also because it's like set like in a fake renaissance or whatever, it can take liberties with what like the the creatures that they encounter and whatever. Yeah, I will also say, and this is a little bit counterintuitive, but if we, especially compared to current movies, I love the sort of roughness of this movie. Yeah, I love that you can like you can you can see, you know, you you can tell that some of it is improv in a way that even modern movies that are that people talk about this Judd Apatow movie was improv. It, the, the Princess Bride feels more improv when Billy Crystal is talking. Yeah, you almost feel like there's a scene where Mandy Patinkin like visibly reacts to what he says, <laughs> you know. And there's also like just people walking through the scene at times, you know. I mean, there's it's it's it, the, a lot of stuff happens in this movie that would be CGI'd out today. Yeah, and I kind of like just the the that it has just a it's a little bit rough around the edges. It feels more. Real and it feels more. Um, there's just more life to it because sure. of that. It's kind of sprawling, like it does move from like location to location. But the cast is is kind of small. There mm-hmm. aren't like a lot of extras except for the the kind of like the court scenes, basically when they're like getting married or whatever. Yeah, sure. I think that's another reason why it feels like a play is because of the small, tight cast, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say what's aged the best is Robin Wright, 100%. Like literally but, aged lit- the best? Literally. <laughs> literally Robin Wright. Man, was she beautiful then, and man, is she beautiful now? I totally agree with that. You should bless me for destroying him before he found out what you really are. And what am I? Faithfulness he talked of, madam. Your enduring faithfulness. Now tell me truly, when you found out he was gone, did you get engaged to your prince that same hour, or did you wait a whole week out of respect for the dead? You mocked me once. Never do it again. I died that day. She's the best. And it's so funny. You know, I forgot she was in Wonder Woman. And I, I like that movie fine. But I love the first, like, 35 minutes. Oh, so good. When they're on the island. And a lot of that is because of Robin Wright. And, like, I, maybe maybe her best environment is, like, in seclusion on by the cliffs. You yeah, know? May, maybe so. Maybe <laughs> so. Um, she She's, I mean, she was really fantastic in this. And really, um, whereas... Everybody else is sort of playing to a type. She just and we talked about Carrie Ellis. I mean, he was such a leading man. I mean, he had that, but he but he still was playing to. He was being, you know, Errol Flynn in this movie. Everybody's playing to a type, but but uh, Robin Wright just sort of was the type. Like she was she transcended it. In she a was like way. a natural beauty before that was even in trend. Uh, a trend, and she still is. Yeah, she's fantastic. I lo- I love her. The other thing that still scares me that I'm like, oh, this was well done. Is when she sinks into the sand and like that like weird like <laughs> boar of some kind comes after them. When yes, they, they're walking through the forest. The rats there. of unusual size. Yeah, I still get yeah. scared. Yeah, there. That is a. That's a. It's a. That's a really scary scene. And when he when the when the rat bites Wesley, it's like a real injury. That's the. I mean, it's. I it, it was. It's pretty scary. <laughs> I still like don't like to watch that. I find it like gross. I like shield my eyes. I was watching this this morning and I was like, Ugh, I'm gonna fast forward here. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on to what is age the worst. So you talked about the sets already. Yeah, we talked about the sets already. I think the other thing is, if this movie was to be made today, it would certainly have 
much more diversity. They're, like the only person we've mentioned <laughs> on this podcast who's not white is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And uh, he was not in the movie. He was not cast. And it's right. just like, it's hard to imagine um, the cast would just, would be this homogenous going, like if they did it again in 2018. <sighs> yes, that's true. It's it, And I think that applies to a lot of movies, but for whatever reason, I think because this is um, a movie with such a broad, uh, such a broad audience and can appeal to so many different people and yeah, different I mean, ages, this is, you, they would, there would be a bitter, bigger effort to make it more inclusive. Yeah. I mean, I think that being made when it was made, as, or if it had been made a decade later, having an all-white cast in a fairy tale movie would not have been shocking. You know, I mean, that's not that's no, not a big of a deal. But certainly, if literally, it, like all of Rob Reiner's movies are all white. Yeah. So if, if it were made today, um, yeah, they would they would definitely they would definitely rethink that. Although Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would have just been ridiculous in the role. Yeah, it, it would have also like made him um, like sort of like exoticized him in a very uncomfortable yes, way, yes. I think. Like, it's almost like if you're going to have only white people and, like, include the giant as, like, the only white person, basically. Like, don't make him, like, some kind of, like, token. weird creature. Yeah, token, yeah. like, creature of some kind or whatever. But that, for that, like, really stuck out to me as I was watching it. I think just because um, sort of, like, family, family-oriented family movies today are just a lot more inclusive, like, for, for the better. Do we want to talk about recasting it? Sure. Do you have any idea? Because I have I have no ideas. Like if but this, you asked on the way in, like why they hadn't remade it. I yeah. Why haven't they remade this movie? I watching it could not think. Not even as a movie. Like why not as a series? This could this could easily be ten episodes, and then if it worked, just keep going. It's a great point. It also you could just create like a weird Renaissance world of like capers, basically. Yeah. Meta narratives. Yeah. I mean, I think there were probably a lot of writers out there that would love to do. Uh, the, the adventures in this world because you're right it's the capers it's the sense of humor you know it could, it could be um, I mean and it, it, it did world building in a way that it, in 90 minutes or whatever that like you know it took it takes other shows and movies lots more took time Peter to Jackson, do Peter Jackson four hours times three yeah. 12 hours but like, there's nobody that did nobody watches this movie and doesn't want to see the adventures of the Dread Pirate Roberts sure. spinoff. That's a great point. And it's particularly because he gives the backstory of like there's it's the Dread Roberts is just like a title that passes down from person yeah. to person. You just like pick up an orphan and you make him a pirate. What do you think would be the hardest role to cast? Well, the, I feel like there there are more options for giants now. Sure. I mean, there's half of Hollywood is former professional wrestlers trying to make good. Um, Blake Griffin. But yeah, Blake. Yeah, you could, there's a lot of <laughs> basketball players that'd be very interested in doing that. Um, honestly, I think that I think that that um, Buttercup is the hardest one, just like it was in, when they when they you know did it the first time. They they'd probably go through. I mean, it'd be easy to cast her in a sort of rote way, sure. But to find the perfect the perfect one movie for a person for the it's the Helen of Troy of the movie, right? It's the true. whole thing revolves around her wonderfulness and her kindness and her beauty, right? So those things are. I mean, that's those are. It's funny that you say that because I actually don't think of the character as like kind. Like I think of her as sassy. Actually, there are times where where you wonder why Wesley loves uh, her. Loves her, but obviously, <laughs> but you know why Wesley loves her. I mean, from a very yeah. like plain point of view, she's beautiful and she's the only woman around. You know, and she's rich and and everything else. Was she sure. rich? Um, yeah, she, she's yeah, pre- she was. Yeah, she was like. Yeah, he was gentry. like her farmhand. Yeah. Um, I never put the Helen of Troy thing together, but you're so right. In fact, not only is she like this beautiful woman, but um, Prince Hupperdink is scheming to turn her into like into a Helen of Troy that like basically they will start a war over her. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Wow, you're such a genius. I just said it off the top of my head. Just wow. came to me. Just came to you. So um, impressive. But yeah, I think that would be hard to cast. I don't know. What do you think? Um, Matthew th- Good is definitely Wesley. We've established this. Yeah. 
Although we saw in The Crown, he's not a good blonde. So hopefully they would let him stay, <laughs> stay as a brunette. Um, I think it'd be really hard to recast the Wallace Shawn character because... Maybe you just have Wallace Shawn. I guess. I don't know. I, I would want a full... Re- I would move Wallace Shawn into like a more token role just so he could appear. We'll talk more about him, I'm sure, because he's so good in it. But like because he's so good and he leaves such a mark, mm-hmm. I think it'd be very hard to fill those shoes. Yeah, I think that's correct. Uh, he's just... He's a scene stealer. Yeah. He's not, he's, I, for, I um, forgot that he dies early on. Like, how, I don't know how I could forget that, but he's such a huge presence in no, the movie. I, I was rewatching the movie, watching the scene in which he dies. It only, it only occurred to me halfway through the scene that he was actually going to die. Because, yeah, he does have a big presence when you think about huge. the Huge. He's a huge part of it. I, I just think that would be really hard. I can't think off the top of my head of like a particularly chatty actor who could do it in the same way. No, it would be, it would be really hard. Yeah. Like, I'm going to say that he is not. A, a nominee for the best heat check performance by a role player, aka the Dion Waiters Award, because he's not a role player. He's like a, he's an essential cog. So I'm taking him off the table. No, then 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 this th- this either gets really easy or really hard after that because if because if he's not a role player, then then are we left with Susan Sarandon's ex husband? Yeah, I, mean, I think that- we. I think it's like Chris Sarandon who plays Prince Humperdinck, Billy Crystal who plays like you know like a voodoo man. Uh, Christopher Guest, who is um, diabolical. There's a lot made in like the various write-ups of the movie that Christopher Guest is actually a lord or whatever in yeah. real life, and that that was a, kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing to put him. I don't, I don't think it mattered at all that that, that was the oh. case, but that's something that people on the internet had, have written many times. I love Christopher Guest, and I just forget that he's married to Jamie Lee Curtis all the time. Yeah. Me too. Waiting for Goffman's just one of my favorite movies. Um, Christopher Guest was had had like a shockingly minor role. In this. Very small. Yeah, he's I only mean, not, in like not the last minor. Third. It's a it's a pivotal role in some ways, but it but it, yeah, it that could have part. been anybody. Yeah, small, very small part. And he was wearing a lot of makeup, so it really could have been anyone. That that is definitely true. Um, also, like, do you, would you say Manny Patinkin's like eligible for the for the Dion Waiters Award? Is he a role no, player? No, no. If Wallace Shawn's out, then Andre and Mandy are out, too. I think they are, too. I agree. Yeah. I, I think it has to go to Chris Sarandon just by the fact that you, I can't name anything else he's been in. Yeah. I mean, not to make this podcast entirely about wrestling, but there's— <laughs> But it's really hard, you know. In, in, Go for re- it. in wrestling, that you know that that they there's a phrase where it, that's they they say called showing ass, and mm. it's like it starts from like literally showing ass. That like for, for when a when a bad guy embarrasses himself to the delight of the audience, it's called they they refer to that as showing ass. I say, and um, and Chris Sarandon does a beautiful job of that. Like, and nobody, nobody, like everybody's overacting in a wonderful way in this movie, but he's not worried at all about just playing the biggest prick in the world. Yeah, he he owns it. He does a good job. Absolutely true. Um, I would say he's almost eligible for the Apex Mountain Award, like the person at the top oh, of his game. Yes, but I, I mean, what else did he, I mean, you know better than me. I don't even know what he else he's in. I just think that it's really Carrie Elway's is at Apex, and he says that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he had other good roles, but like it never got better for him than being Wesley. That's totally true. Like, I mean, it's, just, it's just not even debatable. Like, I happen to love Robin Hood Men in Tights, I, as I said, I love Twister, uh-huh. but like, and then I love, I like many of his movies, but he was only like the leading man in like a heartthrob one time, in my opinion. He was, yeah. I mean, this is, and, and part of it was the movie has just gone on and on and on. It's, it's a cult classic, but it's just a classic now, you know? And the, and this is, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he is, he will be Wesley forever. He also has just 
been dining out on it ever since. Like he's like he really, I, which I actually appreciate. Sure. When, when like a, a former star like has like one particular role they're really famous for, I think they should own it. Like I don't like when they don't want to talk about it. But he wrote a book. He did like went back and did research, and mm-hmm. he wrote a book about making the Princess Bride. Yeah. So this is like really his whole life. So sure. It's, it, we got to give him the Apex Mountain, otherwise we'd just be depriving him so much. No, he deserves it. He definitely deserves it. He was great. Was there any unintentional comedy to you? This is a hard one because it's a funny movie. Yeah. I mean, even a lot of the comedy is like semi-unintentional. You know what I mean? Like it's a little, I mean, not unintentional, but it's tongue in cheek. So there's not a lot, like if there were anything unintentional, I don't think I would know the difference. One of the things that always comes up though is the, is Andre the Giant um, and the way he delivered his lines. Mm. Enough of that. Fuzzy, are there rocks ahead? If they are, we all be dead. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to pin it? Yeah! Right. So I mean, they they will. Um, they did a lot of work with him for him to learn all the to you know learn the script and to be able to say it in such a way because Andre's you know speech is not easily easy to understand. Um, and so they like recorded all the lines on tape, and he walked around with a Walkman, like listening to the things he was about to say before he went on. So he would like you really? know could, could get everything. Yeah, Rob Reiner like read everything into a tape, dictation tape recorder or a a cassette tape, and and uh, that's how Andre learned his lines, and it went really well. But he's still sort of unintelligible, right? I mean, there's still there's a lot of lines that you that that you can't tell exactly what he says unless you have subtitles on. And I think there's a lot of unintentional comedy in that. That's true. If anybody else, even the stuff you can understand, if anyone else delivered anybody want a peanut the way that he did, like it would have not have been as funny. That's part of why he's so famous, right? Like just like his whole being was so exceptional. Yes. Like, or, yeah. And like just out of the ordinary. Yeah. That he had that effect even in this movie. Yeah. It was, when, it was, it was really cool. Um, I would also just say that Carrie always being a heartthrob is funny to me. So, <laughs> he was a heartthrob. I'm sorry, but I just, he's not for me. He's not, he's not my type. All right. All right. I mean, then to, to, to each his or her own, I guess. My biggest unanswerable question about this is why did he wait until she was captured to come back to her? Like, why did Wesley wait until Buttercup was imperiled to come back to her? Like, he had a lot of time. And I know he kind of explains it, but not to the extent that I find. He was busy being a pirate. Okay. Um, but also, the story doesn't work any other way. And okay. this is a, this is a story about stories. Like that, ha- it had to happen. And along the same lines, if she were so in love with him, would that disguise really work? Oh no! I mean, yeah, that's ridiculous. But that's the best part of. I mean, that's that's obviously a decision, right? Sure. I mean, if you if they, it would be interesting if they remade it today, even if it was remade as a comedy, if they would go further in disguising him to make that more of a. A, a plausible plot point or sure. if they just would they do you think they would do that now would they have still because like I hate in movies when they're wearing just like the eye mask and like oh I can't tell who you are right it's, it's a real they, it's a real trope of fairy tale movies though right but it, so it works in this sort of environment because mm-hmm. it's you're it's not taking itself too seriously or whatever but I, I I bet if it were remade today if you know Benioff and Weiss took on the Princess Bride as their next <laughs> oh my god I would project, love that um, oh my god, that's a great idea! Yeah, the Dread Pirate Roberts would probably be in like full face covered chainmail or something. At HBO, let's get on this. I'm, let, let's be consultants. On that's this. incredible. Another thing that occurred to me that I was just wondering about as I was watching is in the great scene between Wallace Shawn and um, Carrie Woods, they uh, take the powder. It's called Iocane powder, uh-huh. and Wallace Shawn's like, I built up a. Or, Carrie always tells Princess Buttercup that he built up a great immunity to it. And uh-huh. is that supposed to be a cocaine joke? It's called Iocane. I have no idea, but it's a, I, but it's I a bet white it powder. Is. I mean, part of the part of the what's sort of brilliant. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if they, you know, uh, if William Goldman like 
spent a lot of time workshopping the names he called various things. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like the Dread Pirate Roberts. I mean, it's just that, like the really, it's just such a such a bold move to go with Roberts at the end of that. But I mean, I know there were pirates named Roberts, but like in the in this sort of like old England yeah. world, it just it sort of stood out. But absolutely, I, I, compared to the other names of Fezzik, yeah. Fazini, and Nigo Montoya. Exactly. But Everything's I, so sort of alien, yeah. you know, and then and this is just like, hey, this is you know the Dread Pirate Joe or whatever. But like, I, I wonder if it, if these were really deliberate comedic decisions that he made that he thought long and hard about or if it was just the first word that popped into his head and then you make that work. But either way, it's sort of wonderful. Th- it's got to be a cocaine joke. Um, yeah. we, we have a few categories left, but I just feel we haven't really talked about Mandy Patinkin enough. Okay. What's like what like what's your do you think he's like excellent in this movie? Is this his signature role? Oh yeah, he's role? fantastic. Like why like why haven't I felt the need to talk about him more though? Like why have I not brought him up? Um, we haven't talked about him and Carrie always spending month or weeks learning how to sword fight for That's real. True. So they, that, did, they did do that. Yeah, they did. They according to according to the record, the only like the scene where they like do the gymnastic flip is is a stuntman. Everything else is really them fighting. Yeah, they they did it like they learned together basically. Yeah, which is they took classes, which is really incredible when you watch it with that in mind. Yeah, I mean, Mandy Patinkin like was the anchor of this movie in a lot of ways. Do you think he has the best catch line, like best catchphrase? Excuse me. Is this official? Is this an official question? Is yeah. this a category? No, well, kind of. It's best quote, but I think this. Yeah, my name is Nico Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. die. Like, it's also inconceivable. As you wish. There's a lot of catchphrases. Oh yeah, you're right. As you wish. Um, I, I like a movie with catchphrases. I like catchphrases yeah. in general. I, like my, but I think the I think Manny Batankins was was the best. That's the that's the one that I mean. First of all, it has enough context that you can just say it and people no, get the reference. Sure. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. If you said as you wish in the office, you know, to Sean tomorrow, I don't as think as you wish. <laughs> okay, maybe <you> like that. <laughs> <laughs> you just get, whenever someone asks you to do something as you're walking out of the room, pull that one. But but I, when I was when I was growing up, yeah, my name is Nico Montoya. You killed my father, Bird of Die. Like we would say that all the time. I'm going to tell a personal story. It'll just take 20 seconds. Um, my parents were friendly with Manny Patinkin and his wife. When I was a child, we were like at their country house, and I was like three years old. I fell in the pool and almost drowned. My dad had to like jump in and drop me, and it's like one of my earliest memories because I almost died. And Holy! I know. Shit. I know. So I've always felt like a personal connection. I really thought Manny girl. Patinkin was going to save you in this story. No, it was my dad. Thank, but he, but you know, Manny Patinkin was there. It was his pool. I'm sure he doesn't remember this. Wow, but it's one of my earliest memories is is like being underwater. I was very young. And <laughs> That's I was, horrifying. I know. <laughs> You didn't know it'd be such a deep reveal on this podcast. No, no, that's that, that's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> he definitely wins the the best quote award, and and Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, I mean, and he was, I mean, he he was just really very good. In the he was the anchor of the movie in a lot of ways. You know, he was he was certainly. I mean, as we know from watching Mandy Patinkin in the year since then, he's the, probably the best actor in the movie, right? Oh, definitely. And, but mm. but Wallace Shawn is definitely up there. Wallace Shawn is an is an incredible actor, but he's you know he's Wallace Shawn. He's sort of got his shtick. Sure. You know, Mandy Patinkin was um, both playing a type and but also like really acting. And um, you know, he was just and, and also he has the biggest. Um, if you know, Dread Pirate Roberts is aside, he has the biggest sort of moral arc in the movie, right? Because he starts yeah. off as a villain and ends up as the you know the big hero. The hero, absolutely. That's a good point. You're so smart, shoemaker. Really pointing out these narrative <laughs> thank thread, you, thank you. these narrative threads. <laughs> I'm good at fairy tales. That's uh, wrestling and fairy tales is what I can do. 
Um, okay, good. I feel we've we've met our Manny Patinkin quote. I just couldn't let it go. You know, he's such a big part of the movie. Yeah, and he's I, was, really great. I wasn't giving him enough attention. Would this movie be better with Danny Trejo? No. I think yes. I mean, I think he would be good. He'd be. What would he do as Inigo Montoya? Um, what if he was the giant? Well, he's like with CGI. Yeah. Oh, that would be pretty great. He would be sort of perfect. He would be great because he seems scary, but he's actually not. Like I feel like. Yeah, he's he could start out intimidating, then he realized he's just like a great yeah a great teddy bear. I mean, you could go for a total remake and sort of modernize it and have have Inigo Montoya have like guns, and then Danny Trejo would be great. But yeah. I think I think Danny Trejo Danny Trejo as Fezzik would be pretty would be pretty incredible. Because I I I think that like usually when this question comes up, I'm like, no, that's a ridiculous question. Well, no, I mean, I don't think he'd be better than Andre the Giant. I love Andre too much. We we would never impugn Andre that way. He's the OG. He's the goat. But if we're remaking it. I would nominate Danny Trejo. Yeah, you could find a role for him for sure. Yeah, or like maybe he like works in the royal court. Yeah, he does have he does have that sort of like you know built in self awareness that you need to 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 be in a movie to be in a project like this. So I would I'll, I'll say yes. Okay, great. Th- thank you for humoring me. Finally, Shoemaker, who won this movie to you? Whew. You can say Andre. Um. Yeah, I mean. There are so many winners in this movie. Um, it's Andre. It's Andre's week, man. We just did. We just did the movie. The documentary just came out. I think. I think for me, because of my connection to him and my connection to the movie, he was the bridge, and he really won it for me. But I think, you know, solid case for many people. There are very, very many cases. Even this is, you know, a solid case for William Goldman. You know, I mean, this is a brilliant idea that was mm. and that was really executed perfectly. You know, and I and. Um, so maybe that's Rob Reiner too, but there's, but yeah, I'll go with Andre the Giant. Who do you have? Well, Sean, hands down. Yeah. This was- I just love, I happen to love him. I think he's so, he's just so much personality and in such like a plot heavy movie, mm-hmm. he delivers his lines impeccably. And I just think he's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's really, this is like, it goes back to what you were saying about it feeling like a play, but they but they do, you know, they have the sort of like core cast, um, but he's not even the core cast. You have Wesley and Buttercup. And everybody around them gets like one or two moments to shine throughout the movie. You know, they're, yeah. they're the center of the film, but everything else is um, like these. They're, everybody has a, like a really memorable scene, a really memorable, you know, couple of scenes. And, and um, I think that's part of why it was really well done. You just like you come out of this movie with very specific memories about almost everything. You know, I mean, it's very, it's very, very tactile, very, very memorable. Thanks so much for doing this podcast. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I don't know why like, I'm acting like it's my podcast. It is. It's, cer- it's certainly not. Juliet Littman, <laughs> every week's host of The Rewatchables. It's definitely not. Um, check out Andre the Giant on HBO. It's, it's available for streaming right now, I believe. Yes, it is. It's a, it's honestly really good. I don't even like wrestling, and I, but I do like Andre now. Thanks again to Google Assistant, SeatGeek, and Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with awesome hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means you get amazing deals. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe to book. 
No long, endless lists of a zillion hotel choices. Hotel Tonight only shows you the best deals at the best hotels. Perfect whether you're a planner or like to leave things to the last minute. And with Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. So start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels and download the Hotel Tonight app now. 